Hi, this is Ryan Bloom. On today's episode of the Fireside Chat, we're going to be talking with progressive and basically awesome landscape architect Melissa Gerstel, based in Dallas, Texas. We're going to talk about how she is evolving the use of outdoor space to meet with her clients' growing needs, both as it relates to COVID, as the backyard becomes the vacation spot, but also to really help personalize and identify spaces that resonate with her clients' wants, needs, and desired outcomes. We're going to talk to her about the Kipps Bay Showhouse Project, where her and over two dozen other Dallas-based designers have come together to create the showhouse that beautifully reflects design in Dallas. We're going to talk about her experience. We're going to talk about COVID. And it's a really amazing episode. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm, I've been excited to meet you and, and speak with you. I've been following your work. And it's, uh, I have so many things I want to ask you about. And, and But before I do, if I can... Um, Obviously, with everything going on in, in, in the U.S. and in the world with COVID, and I was doing some research, and I know that Texas, along with California and Florida, have been three of the hardest hit states, if you will, and just wanted to ask how you, your family, your community are, just how, how's everything where, where you are in Dallas? Oh, well, first, thank you for having me. I've been so excited to be um, a part of this and to talk with you, so I've been looking forward to it as well, and I appreciate you having me. Um, and thank you for asking that very kind question. Um, fortunately, we're doing well over here. Texas has been a hot state for a while now, and um, the numbers have been going up and down, and now they seem to be on a sort of an upward trend again, which I think a lot of people feared um, with the start of schools and, and things opening up and after Labor Day weekend, which is now several weeks ago, more than a few weeks but um, fortunately, my family is doing well. Um, we are um, staying safe. Our kids are actually in school right now. And uh, they wear masks and they have great um, procedures to keep the kids safe, but still able to interact. And uh, I have family in two different states, also hot states, New York, which seemed to be better, but now I think has an uptick, and Florida. So <laughs> everyone is a little bit uptight right now. And we haven't seen each other in um, a long, long, long time. So that's, that's kind of tough. But I think everyone's really struggling with that right now. How are you guys doing over there in Canada and Montreal? You know, uh, Quebec as a province has had the highest number of cases out of all the provinces in, in Canada. Um, and there's a whole bunch of factors, I think, that contribute to that. Uh, we are, I mean, our, our cases have certainly gone up over the last couple of weeks, and the government put sort of some new uh, restrictions in. So, for example, restaurants are completely closed, if not for takeout or delivery. Um, my wife uh, is, is a yoga studio owner and teacher, she can't, her studios are effectively closed to anything more than a one-on-one -on -one class. So they've definitely put more restrictions in. And, and I think exactly as you experienced, the back to school really was a huge impact. You know, my, my son goes to a school and there were four cases in his particular grade, you know, four kids who got together weren't supposed to, and were sharing some kind of a vape Thing and that's all it takes to spread yeah. it, right? Yeah. And they had to shut down his grade for two weeks. So he just spent the last two weeks uh, virtual. Mm -hmm. um, but I think this is just going to be the reality for yeah. 
a little bit more until we have rapid testing and, uh, you know, that's sort of at scale and readily yeah. available. So. Right. Yeah. It's, but I think we're, I think we're close to getting that. I've been following this amazing, amazing new technologies that are almost ready for approval that you would blow into something that looks like a, a whistle, like oh, on a keychain really? and oh, wow. a single use. And it would be able to tell you like almost like a pregnancy test within three okay. minutes, you're positive, negative. That's so that would these be things great. are, these things are not, not far from being ready at, at scale from what I, from what I'm reading. That's terrific. That, that yeah. beats the temperature test. I think, I mean, which is not really an indicator. So it, right, you are. they say, so yeah. Well, I'm thrilled to hear that you and your family are, are well. And now if I can, I, I'm, I've just been really excited to talk to you. There's a few things I wanna, I wanna ask you about today. Um, first, I, I spent a lot of time on your website and on your Instagram. And I wanted to ask, and this is something that I always find uh, interesting about designers is often they, some sort of just share pretty pictures and share finished work mm -hmm. and others. And the ones that I find frankly more interesting and more enjoyable to follow share the journey and show inspiration beyond just project. Mm -hmm. And I looked at your feed and beyond just magnificent projects and gardens and, and vertical, beautiful greenery, you also show black and whites of amazing women. I think you have one of Marilyn Monroe. I think you have one of Ruth Bader Ginsburg on your feed. I, I just, it seems like you've mixed in a lot of inspiration and I would just love to hear about that. So I try to keep the feed a little bit interesting on that, on that, um, on that sense. And uh, I, with the Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that was a very um, a, a recent thing with her passing. Um, I really try to share things that I'm inspired by with, the community that follows me. Um, and um, I think people get tired also of seeing the same thing over and over again. So that's, and as do I. And so that's, that's part of why I do that. But I'm also thinking more about the things that inspire me, not just as a designer, but as a human and as a person and a woman. And so those are the things like with Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, and other elements that I try to bring in there to show people um, what drives me. And and that really drives also the way I design because when I work with people or design, I really think about and try to have in-depth conversations about what it is that the client is looking for, what are the things that inspire them, how can we turn those things into something that's tangible in their view and in their garden. Um, I think it's really important for people to feel inspired, to wake up inspired, to look out their windows and see things that make them want to attack the day. Um, and that's really my mission with design um, and with creating gardens and outdoor spaces. It's to inspire people and give people the motivation and the fortitude to move forward, which right now, especially, I think is such an important thing. Um, everybody is looking to, to feel better um, with whether it be about all the things that are going on in the world from climate change to the political situation to, of course, COVID right now. Um, we're spending more time at home. But even prior to that, um, I've always looked to try to find ways to help and inspire my clients. And what, beyond education, before you could start inspiring clients, you had to be inspired yourself, I imagine. And, and can you tell me just a little bit about 
your story, your journey, what kind of led you, whether it's from childhood, adolescence, early, in your early years, what led you into the area of specialty that you're now in, which is, you know, I think for a long time was kind of a rarity uh, in sort of the idea of outdoor space activation. It's still, even though it's, it's, it's been going on for a long time, it's a lot more prevalent in design and discussion than it would have been 10 years ago, for example. What led you into this into this field? Well, um, that's a good question. I don't think I took a typical path. I think that a lot of people say, oh, well, when I was a kid, I was always digging in the garden and I was planting things with my parents. And um, I wish I had. <laughs> I did do a little bit of that. My dad would always have a vegetable garden and, and things like that. But um, my parents weren't huge gardeners. Um, I really didn't discover my love of nature, I think, until I was in college, actually. Um, I started out studying um, in the school. Well, actually, my, my original goal was to become a, a, a photojournalist for National Geographic. So I really was, I was interested in nature. I knew that. And I loved to write and I loved to communicate. And so... Um, that was my path. I had this, I had this vision, but I think my, what I realized when I was in school, I studied in the school of natural resources at um, the university of Michigan. That's where I started out. And I quickly realized that, um, I, while that was a, a vision of something that I thought was very, I was really cool. I had really romanticized what that was. So, um, when I saw, or imagine myself as Jane Goodall in the forest <laughs> alone um, or Diane Fossey with, you know, gorillas, I realized that I would have been extremely lonely and frightened and <laughs> it was not the life for me. And so um, instead I realized I needed to connect with nature in a different way. And um, when I started taking some plant ID classes there, um, which primarily focused on trees um, that's when I really realized, oh, wow, I really love plant identification and I love the differences between plants. And then I learned about landscape architecture. And then that's when the light went off. And I said, okay, this is something I really, really want to do. And then um, from there, I, even though I learned about that field, I ended up taking a different path. They didn't have an undergraduate. So instead, I ended up getting a business degree and I transferred to the business school at Michigan and um, worked in marketing for several years. Um, and then after that, I still had this calling and I knew that I wanted to go back to that. And that's when I went back to grad school to study landscape architecture. So it kind of took a, a different path um, than probably the norm, but that's, that's how that happened. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how, to your point about uh, sort of attaching to the life cycle of plants and how things grow and understanding them. You just made me think about something that I haven't thought about in a long time. Uh, and it's, it's sort of relevant to what, you're, to what you're saying in terms of an overall experience. When I was, let me just think for a second, I was 17 turning 18, I took a year and went, um, went to actually live on a kibbutz in Israel. Oh, wow. On a, on a school exchange program, woke up every morning at 4.30, 5 o'clock, and I got put into, you know, some of my friends were in the chickens and the, in the kitchen and the oranges, and I, for some reason, got put into the banana fields. Uh-huh. And I learned in that time, which is super interesting how, you know, I learned the bananas are not a tree. They're actually a grass. And that in one sure. year, just slightly less than a year, a plant that was 
seven or eight inches high would grow into this 15 or 16 foot monstrosity and deliver a 80 pound bunch of bananas in a one year period, which is incredible. And then that tree is dead or that grass is, and that's finished. And it was a very, you, you just made me think about the context of how greenery and trees and flowers, they really represent life cycle in an incredible way in different contexts of, of where they are. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, I, I love to see how plants evolve over time. And, and that's the most interesting thing about working as a, as a designer, as a landscape designer. It's because the playing field is always changing. So um, a lot of times I envy interior designers because I always feel like you can set your furniture down and, and your hang your pictures on the walls and then you can walk away and you can come back a year later and it's all, it's all the same and you don't have to worry about, you know, the sofa dying or, or the, um, you know, the, um, the, the picture on the wall growing too, too large. Um, so with gardens, it's constantly evolving. The plants we plant are growing um, things. They're changing over time and sometimes they do what we want and a lot of times they don't. Um, trees will create more shade. And so sun gardens may have to turn into um, shade gardens. And so you're constantly having to think about how things are going to evolve over time, what kind of changes are going to need to be made um, and planning for that and communicating with clients. But the cool thing about it is that there's this ongoing conversation. And so um, there's a constant back and forth with clients. I love when I, when I can see a garden evolve over time and, and how we've changed and, and done things differently to make things um, better and better. So it's, it's a really neat process. But yeah, plants are a great um, uh, uh, symbolic uh, thing for, for life and for the cycles that we go through. They are. Amazing. I, I want to lead that a little bit into something you mentioned a couple of minute go, a minutes ago, which is how you and your clients will align on vision and how that's such an important part of that, of that process and the relationship that's established. Because the client-designer relationship has such an aspect of trust that is required in it. Um, and I ask this question all the time to anyone that I'm, I'm speaking to in, in the design space. And I'd like to ask you the same, the same sort of thing. I, I think today consumers have far more access to inspiration on design than they would have 5, 10, 15 years ago, where they can now, with a click of a button, go to House or Pinterest or Instagram and be able to articulate visually what they like or what they don't like. And the question I ask the designers is, is that access that people now have to inspiration is that a an asset is that in some ways a hindrance to the design community who would like to be able to present that vision board as a first step what do you see as the role or relationship in your world that technology is is doing in terms of prepping the consumer for the realm of possible um I, I think it's a great thing. I really do. Um, I think it's really helpful for clients to be able to, to put together their own mood board and say, hey, this is the vision I have. These are the things that I love. Um, it creates a lot of clarity. Um, my job then is to distill that down into something that will work within the realm of their space and to make sure that it, it applies um, 
visually and that the, the everything aligns and is synced up in a way that it doesn't look strange or out of place. Um, and, and it also is a great way for me to know if I'm a good connection, if it's a good connection or a good fit for a client to work with me. So, um, for example, you know, if a client is living in some Italianate house and they want to put in, um, you know, an English garden, that may not be the best example, but, but something that's really out of place or some super, super modern type of um, element um, that would look really weird in there. That's a conversation I can have with the client and say, well, you know, this might look a little bit out of place and, and let's think about how we can interpret this and make it work the right way. Um, and that's something that's personally important to me. I feel like a sense of place, um, which we learn very early on in, in landscape architecture, the, the Latin term genius loci, um, some people say loci, but um, is, you know, the, the making things fit where they need to be, letting the site really rule the design. And, um, and that's a job for designers to take the space the landscape um, and the architecture and pull it all together and make it work. But then taking that client's vision from the, um, from, I'm sorry, they're, they're just turning the fountains on over here. I hope you can hear me. Okay. I okay. Hear I hear you. Great. No problem. Okay. So, you know, taking that all and making it work together is really important, but I, but you asked also about the technology. So taking those, those pictures, those mood boards from the client, and understanding what they want is brings so much more clarity, I think, to a project than um, just kind of throwing some ideas up in the air. Um, the, the other end of the technology that's so fabulous is right now I'm able to produce um, 3D models for all of my clients. Um, so we, can, we even did it for this garden that I'm sitting in beforehand. And it is incredible when you look at the... Um, the 3D animation of this garden that we produced and then the actual images of the garden, it is almost identical. So we're able to really use technology to show people what we are planning to produce and they get a great understanding of it and it really cuts down on um, misunderstandings and miscommunications uh, a lot. Um, it's funny you say that. I would, you know, one of the things that we do for clients is when we do designs, they're not 2D. We actually have an in-house team and we do 3D renderings to scale, to color, to right. countertop chosen, to grill brand chosen, where the renderings are literally almost true to life. Yeah. And I believe just doing that has had a fundamental shift in our business because it allows the consumer designer to see it in context mm -hmm. and I think it's a huge piece of communicating or articulating with, with oh, the clients. For sure. For sure. Um, I'm sure it definitely helps with sales numbers as well. Um, and, and I see that on my side, like the excitement that comes at, comes forth from, you know, seeing something that looks so real that um, seeing that vision, it just creates an excitement and a momentum to keep a project moving, which um, is just unprecedented, I think. So totally, totally agree yeah. with you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. The frightening part about it though is, is when people see the, the HGTV type things or the television things where everything happens like this. Um, 
And so that, that's the place that we have to sort of unravel or when it shows up on a screen and people think, oh, well, then we can have it tomorrow. And it, and it doesn't quite happen that fast. So that's sort of managing um, expectations. And that's kind of where um, one of the downsides of, of those things. But I don't think that's a downside of technology. That's more about, um, you know, setting proper expectations and letting people know that things, even though the TV segment slapped it all together, that was probably a month or more time, or more. many more months. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious, you've obviously been in the, in the growing and evolving space of outdoor space activation, landscape, garden design, plants. Have you seen a significant shift or change in what the today's client is looking for in outdoor space that the level of seriousness, thoughtfulness, um, uh, uh, the meaningful aspects of spaces change and evolve as, you know, as you said earlier, whether it's a result of market trend, uh, a bit of fuel on the fire from COVID with people now not traveling, not making spends on large weddings, sweet 16s, whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. And those dollars being deployed back into in still, even in very wealthy, beautifully designed homes, the outdoor space is typically uh, behind indoor. It's not usually done right. in many cases at the same time. Uh, and it's the great area where people can make investments now in their homes. Are, are you seeing a change in what people are looking for, asking for uh, level uh, the outdoors as a priority on their, on their checklist of, of a home? I'd love to hear about that from you. I am. I am. I think that trend has been going through interiors as well. But yes, I'm definitely seeing it on the exterior side um, where clients want a seamless transition between interior and exterior, which is what I always try to bring to the table. But also with people spending more time at home, they're much more thoughtful about what they want and what home means to them. They're seeing their homes more as their place for a respite. Um, people aren't spending as much or able to go on vacations as much with COVID. And so, um, you know, the, the backyard is now the vacation spot. And, and, and I don't mean that to, to say we turn it into these wild resorts and, and like an amusement park. It's creating spaces that can create um, internal joy and um, respite and um, refreshment for people to um, to feel fulfilled and inspired in their lives. And so they think about how they're going to use the space more. We have discussions about it. And, and with all the spaces, I really try to create places where people can connect and can um, have conversations and meaningful moments um, and also have places to reflect. I think that's really important for people. Um, but again, beyond those elements, there's a lot more um, focus on things like outdoor, um, outdoor usage and entertainment, um, outdoor kitchens and, and um, more elaborate type things, um, guest quarters and outdoor um, extra office spaces such as um, like a cabana uh, type 
building might now be more um, of interest to create sort of a living quarter, work quarter for guests, especially with COVID people thinking about, well, if I have a guest, they may not, I may not want them to stay in my home or they may not want to be in my home. We can still social distance this way. So those are things that think people are thinking about. Um, and it is becoming a priority. I'm seeing more thoughtfulness about the way the property as a whole works and more personalization as well as like, it's not as much about resale value as much as it is about what I want and what I need for my home to function for our family. And that's, that's a different perspective on things now, a different way of thinking about the investment people are making in their homes. I, I wholeheartedly and completely agree. And, and you just, again, it's so funny that you're saying these things and it's bringing up these kind of personal thoughts and, and memories. And, and I'm thinking about that the outdoor space can absolutely reflect, and, and you use it well, that sort of idea of the backyard. And that could also be a deck, a rooftop. It's any kind of outdoor space right. representing the vacation spot. Mm -hmm. And I acknowledge in that that there are people who see, you know, dancing, going to foam parties, huge watching football games outside right. in a club, in a club med like environment uh -huh. as their definition of a vacation. That's what they want. You want to do jacuzzis with laser light shows and, and TVs <laughs> that come out of the, you can yeah. accomplish that. Right. Whereas myself, my wife and my family, we've been going to a small village in Costa Rica called Nosara for the last 10 years. It's where my wife and I got married. And we stay yeah. at this little tiny hotel called the Harmony, which has some of the most beautiful vegetation trees. I mean, the care that goes into it is remarkable. Mm -hmm. And a very, very dear friend of mine, who's actually an award-winning landscape architect here in Montreal, his name is Stuart Webster. Mm. His office is a few minutes from us, and we've collaborated on a bunch of projects, but more than that, he's a really dear friend uh, of mine. And he happened to be at this Harmony Hotel at exactly the same time as my family oh, in, wow. in, in, early, in early March. And to watch him look at the, the way the trees were designed, plant, lows, highs, mm. it, it really put it in context of someone who, you know, if I was recreating my outdoor space, I would want that. Right. I want that more. So yeah. to your point, and I apologize if I'm long winded, but to your point, the outdoors can absolutely mirror the behavior and the, the desired effect of the user. And that's, that's right. really nice. That's absolutely true. Um, yeah. So it's all about the way you want to live and the way you want to use your home and use your space and, and allow it to support you and your family. Um, I think that the other aspect of it is because we're also stuck in our homes and, and feeling like a little bit claustrophobic, the yard becomes an extension of that. And so people are really thinking more about like, how can I extend my space and create more space for, for us to enjoy? So that's another thing. Whereas if the yard was once neglected in the past and it was just this sort of overlooked space outside, people are now thinking about, hey, we have this space, let's make it, let's make it work. Let's put the time and the energy into creating something special for us. And it really does, and I've said this for years, it changes the way you live. It really changes the way you use your home. 
And it changes the way people feel about their lives. Um, when you look outside and you see a gorgeous view, it just um, invigorates you. It makes you feel ready and, and feel refreshed and, and um, it helps your whole emotional well-being. And, and that's, um, I think people are realizing that more. They're becoming more aware of that and they're, they're wanting that. So, yeah. I agree. And, and the way you described, you know, that seamless interior exterior experience that, that you try, your goal is to accomplish and that, that clients are seeking, you know, we see the same thing also as it relates to the way people behave. So obviously we are in the outdoor space activation realm as it relates to cooking and, and entertaining the things that you mentioned as, as those spaces and merging indoor and outdoor visually, aesthetically, functionality-wise, it's really at the very sort of top of the food chain of what is growing the the realm of possible. And, and still today, what's amazing is that so many consumers don't even know yet what is possible outdoors. Right. It's just, it's, and technology is moving so quickly from, from shading to heating to lighting to uh, technology on televisions and, and Bluetooth, I mean, it's daunting how fast it's going. It is. It's amazing. And, and that's why also it's so important to work with specialists, I think. Um, for example, I, I design outdoor spaces, of course, um, outdoor living spaces and gardens, but um, I have a lighting consultant that I work with. Um, I just can't keep up with that technology. I can communicate the effects that I want in the landscape at night. Um, the things that we'd like to highlight and how we want um, sort of a, a soft light on, on this or a shade of that um, and how I want the shadows to fall. But in order to create that effect and to make that happen, you have to know the technology that's going to create it and what kind of light bulb and how much wattage. And there's so much to it. So um, I definitely rely on experts. Um, same thing with outdoor kitchens. We know all the pieces and parts that we want in there, but we don't necessarily know um, the latest and greatest of technologies and how to organize those things. And so then we rely on people like you um, and your company to do things like that and to help us elevate the design to the next level. And so that's, um, that's super important. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's really fun when you say it's collaborative. And I think that's, uh, that, that's really, it, it does it lets people do what they do best. And I think ultimately it really benefits the, the consumer um, who get that, you know, that best of experience, which is awesome. And that leads me to something else I wanted to ask you about. Talk about an example or a precedent of designer collaboration. Uh, doing a little bit of research on the Kips Bay project that I know you're involved in that's happening right now, as far as I right, understand. I'm, I'm in the Kips Bay garden right now. So, Tell me about tell me about the project. I was on the website. It looks like there's more than a dozen different design professionals involved. How does that integrate? Tell, tell me about this this really cool initiative. Yeah, so this was the really, really neat project. Um, there were 27 designers selected to work on this house. It's over 12,000 square feet um, in size. And I was um, really honored to be selected to do the backyard um, design, which I'm sitting in right now. Um, we were given approximately 10 weeks to, from, from the time we were told to the time that we had to complete the design and implement it in our spaces. 
everybody working um, sort of independently, but together in that we were here on site and there's a lot of, you know, crossing of paths and, and trying to make crews fit and um, a lot of um, chaos <laughs> going on to get it all done. Um, so was your question about the collaboration or the collaborative aspect of the project? Well, or First of all, your role in the project and, and what your specific area was, how you think it, it turned out, and, and also as it relates to what you said earlier about collaboration with experts. Right. What's it like to collaborate with 27 designers, each with obviously their own oh. vantage point, their own design aesthetic? Yeah. What's, what's, that, what's that like? So for a show home, um, the collaborate, so the collaborative effort is, has been really phenomenal with the, with this group. We all kind of designed our own spaces. So you are almost, you're working a little bit in a vacuum in that you do design your own space, but, but as your space sort of interacts with other spaces, it's really dependent on how much the other designers want to work with you to sort of make things work together. I was, phenomenally fortunate in that I worked alongside two um, different designers. My space is the backyard space, which I'm sitting in right now. Um, there's a covered veranda that leads out to the backyard and, um, and then an, a, an, an interior porch with scre a screened in porch that leads to the veranda. So both of those spaces look out onto mine and, and are loosely connected with mine. Um, we worked together to um, to pick out a new um, hardscape space, a hard surface for the flooring, which could, because I wanted to replace the entire pool deck that was around the pool. And that space is shared with the covered veranda. And so the designer of that space and I um, collectively agreed on what um, stone we would use. And, um, and, Got, and I, I worked on getting that installed. He's based in Houston. But um, amazingly, we didn't work on anything else together. We, um, we both designed our own spaces and furnished them. Um, I planned the garden out um, use, using that stone um, in two separate spaces and furnished the space. Um, however, the incredible part is when you look at the two spaces that are next to each other, they connect absolutely seamlessly. Our, the color schemes we selected um, work together. We both use black and white um, antique. And um, that is just, I don't know how much of that is coincidence or just being on trend this year with um, what the color schemes were, um, but it looks like we worked together, <laughs> but we really didn't beyond the flooring. So um, and that was the case inside the house as well a lot. I see that there, there's a, there are a lot of overlaps in color selections, some completely different, but um, some, were, some really had a lot of overlaps. And I think that's just about designers being on trend and seeing what, what colors are working. Um, but, you know, when you go into a show home, sometimes it feels a bit schizophrenic because each room is a representative of, of that designer's work. And each room kind of stands alone as its own um, embodiment of that designer's vision. And it's, and it's phenomenal. But this house is really, it's incredible. The best part of this whole project, I say, has been getting to know all the designers and, and feeling like we're part of a, a group and a community and making friends. I, 
I've just loved that. I love that now I've got this big group of designer friends that I can talk to and rely on and kind of exchange ideas with. Um, that's been the best part of all. So it, it's funny you, you mentioned that I had a very similar experience. We were invited to participate in one of the homes at Modernism Week earlier, oh, okay. uh, early, yeah. earlier this year. And we did at the Mesa Modern Home. And I am still really catching up. I mean, Urban Bonfire, I started on the cooking side of things, mm -hmm. learning about, I mean, when we started, we were a 400 square foot specialty grill and smoker shop. That's how we started. Mm -hmm. And I always came in it from my partner, Stefan, came in it from the architecture, engineering, design side. So I've kind of been playing catch up. When somebody talks to me during a podcast about a, you know, uh, a Spanish inspired 1785 with this, that, uh, <laughs> it, I have absolutely no idea. So we were invited to be uh, uh, supply a kitchen at, at Modernism Week and I, and I went to visit the house. And when you look at each element to your point that a designer, whether it's a lighting specialist or an indoor cabinet specialist or flooring, each one of them in isolation, it's very hard for me as a, from a lay person's perspective, it's, it's difficult to see how that's all going to come together. Right. When you see it all come together in context, it's an amazing thing how each element that used to look like a focal point blends into a harmonious experience yeah and, and I imagine that's very much the case as it relates to when you're planting that certain a tree a flower in isolation could look too bold or too understated but when brought together they 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 weave yeah it's it's it is amazing and and that was the evolution of the house like literally I think within a few days before the the final day, I, I've talked to so many people about this who were working in the house saying, oh my God, there is no way this is going to come together. There's no way this is going to be look good. And then all of a sudden like that, it just transformed. The designers came in, they, they added all the finishing touches and it is just the most gorgeous space you can imagine. And, and, um, and with the garden, it was the same thing. It's funny because um, the master bathroom overlooks um, a Good portion of the garden and the designer who worked in that space um kept saying to me he's told me several times he's like i kept looking out the window and i was like oh my god what a wreck this is like how is this ever going to come together because we saw the stone workers and the you know the masonry and the dust and everything and it, it just looked like chaos and then he said all of a sudden i turned around and i looked through the window and it was just like perfection <laughs> and i said yeah it's not done until it's done and then everything sort of comes comes together but that's that's just the process i think um and uh you know you do, if you don't know what the vision is you just you can't possibly imagine what it's going to look like but um but as long as we have that map and that plan and everything gets put where it's supposed to be uh it does come together and um this one worked out really nicely i'm really proud of it and um i think it's been well received and and it's just been so much fun I'm glad it looks like an amazing project and something that at, at, at risk of sort of sounding maybe uh, I think these types of projects where you see local designers collaborate and come together and bring a vision to life. I, I think it's really important right now that people in, in local environments see that even during this 
this kind of time of COVID and this uncertainty, as, as you mentioned earlier, whether it's climate, political, and other, it's, it's, it feels really good, even as like a small win or a small that there is still a lot of good and there's still a lot of collaboration and, and we're more unified than we actually are divided in, in, in our sort of, in our lives. And, yeah. and that often gets missed. Yes. Um, and it's really nice to see that you and your, your colleagues have put this forward during this time. I, I imagine it's been very fulfilling. Thanks. It has been on all of those levels and, and more. Um, it's, it's definitely has been felt like an, a small way community and especially the folks coming from um, Texas so many local designers um, out of Dallas and, and some neighboring cities like Houston and Austin who came in to do this project it's just been um, a great way to sort of elevate um, this local area um, and all these designers who are so incredibly talented and um, just seeing them all work together was just um, an amazing amazing thing well I congratulate you on it and wish you continued success with it and and yeah. your and your firm i will continue to follow you and your work uh with rigor um, thank you th thank you thank you for your time today i i learned a lot in my research before before today and i um i i have a deep respect for the work that you do and and the level of passion and care that goes into it it's um it's real it's really quite amazing well, thank you so much. And thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. I really enjoyed our conversation. As did I. Hope to do it again. And, and I hope once travel resumes, uh, Dallas is absolutely at, uh, in my top five on my list. So uh, hopefully we get to uh, meet each other face to face. That'd be great. I'd love that. Thank As you. Would I. Be All well. Right. Have a great weekend. Thank you for today. You too. Thank you. This is Ryan Bloom. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Fireside Chat with awesome Dallas, Texas-based landscape architect, Melissa Gersel. I loved hearing about her approach to design in getting the true essence of what her clients' wants and needs are for their outdoor space and how she uses her vast experience in plants, flowers, trees, shrubs, and all types of vegetation to accomplish the wants, needs, and goals of her clients. It was really nice to hear about what's going on today in Dallas as it relates to COVID. But even through this difficult time, how she and almost two dozen other designers have come together to bring the Kipps Bay Showhouse to life. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. Please follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, and of course on Instagram at Urban Bonfire. If you have a question, a comment, or want to get involved in our discussion on design and the future of outdoor space activation, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks very much for joining.